and we are live with episode 18 of Living the Guide Life here with Chance Pratt. And duck opener is right around the corner for us. Starts up Saturday up here in Minnesota. We'll be chasing those brown swamp ducks. And I hope everyone else is uh, either bow hunting somewhere for, you know, elk, whitetail, or shooting waterfall i know a lot of guys have early teal going on and then early honker is kind of ending up for most people but hopefully you guys are out there hunting fishing whatever it is i know a couple buddies are still chasing bass just won a tournament for them congrats ben and kobe and yeah i hope you guys enjoy this one We are live with episode 18 of Living the Guide Life here with Garrett Rosh, and he is the owner and operator of Name the Game Outfitters over in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. But I mean, this guy travels all over the country to chase gators, um, elk, antelope, teal, waterfall, everything. So Garrett, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. How about yourself? You know, just another day in Minnesota. Like they said. I hear you, brother. I hear you, brother. What's the weather like up there right now? It's getting warm. This like this past week it's up in like the eighty five ish range. Like it's yep, getting hot. For, for for Oklahoma we'd be happy with eighty five here lately. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> it's been it's been a pretty brutal summer, man. I tell you what, just here lately we actually got a little bit of cool weather the other day and uh I had a little cold front come in and uh, I think everyone got pretty excited because uh, all the deer started moving pretty good. It dropped yeah. down probably 40 degrees at least. Oh, wow. What is it uh, right there, right down there right now? Right now, I'd say the highs right now are probably about the mid-80s. But like I said, compared to what it's been, we'll take it. I mean, yeah. the last about month, month and a half, it's been up, you know, 100 degrees and over. We've had a, we've had a pretty hot summer. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's deadly. I, <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it down there. Oh, I know, man. I tell you what, I think we're all ready. We're ready for some cooler temperatures and uh, a fall weather to be here full time. You know how summer is. It almost uh, kind of wears on you after a couple months. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, like last week up here, we got a nice big cold front. It got into the 30s, like two really? days, three days. And then. That's nice. Yeah, that was real nice. I was very happy about that. <laughs> I bet. And I bet I'm ready for those temperatures full time, man. Yeah. Oh, but exactly. We got, we got a little bit of a teaser the other day. Got had some cool temperatures coming in and then, you know, kind of warmed back up. But still not, not near as bad. So hopefully we don't get any more of those 90, 100 degree days. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Because when does your guys' is like, when's your first season start down there? Well, like I so said, the uh, last couple of weeks we've been doing, uh, we've been guiding gator hunts down in uh, Louisiana. And then we went from gator hunts to uh, dove hunts. Yeah. And we guided some, uh, uh, gator hunts in Louisiana, and then we guided some dove hunts in Oklahoma and Mississippi. And then we did some uh, early uh, teal and uh, resident goose season. So okay. we had some clients in for that, and uh, we did good. We had we had quite a few dove and quite a few uh, quite a few geese and teal in too. So we had a we had some good hunts. Yeah, that's and awesome. And now just kind of getting everything prepped and ready for uh, October first. October first is our uh, opening day of archery season here in Oklahoma. So I'll okay. have guys that I got a group in starting October first, and then from 
October 1st, pretty much all the way to uh, January 15th. I'm I'm pretty booked up. I got a almost back to back groups for oh, uh, wow. clients. That's so, awesome. You know, about 50, probably about 50 percent bow hunters, and the, probably the other 50 percent, you know, either muzzle or rifle. But okay. But we're looking forward to it. Yeah, what are some of the preparations you guys are doing right now for whitetails? Man, right now, um, like I said, we we actually, we picked up a new ranch. Um, We've already got a a bunch of our ranches that we've had, you know, we've had for probably 15 to 16 years. So so we we pretty much just maintain on those ranches all summer long, just keeping minerals and protein out for them, keep the feeders running. Uh, Put a couple new blinds up on some of those ranches. But really the new stuff, we picked up late, so... We're actually finishing up and getting some new blinds in. Um, just this past weekend, we're up there getting some new box blinds in, getting some new uh, bow stands in, and just finishing up refilling feeders and and getting a few new uh, a few new sets set up. You know, just getting ready for that uh, opening weekend of the uh, bow season. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. we're looking forward to seeing what this new ranch produces. It looks good, and uh, just hoping. Uh, we got some new good bucks show up on this new property. It's just kind of a backup property, really. We got, like I said, in Oklahoma altogether, I got about got about 10,000, 10,500 acres. Oh, wow. And my, my main ranches we'll be hunting will be the, you know, the ones we've had for years, you know, that we've managed. But like I said, we just kind of picked up this new piece to see if it, you know, it would turn into something. So if it does, uh, we'll be hunting some this season as well. Yeah, that's awesome. 10,000 acres, that is a lot of land. <laughs> it's a lot to manage, man. I, like I said, I started out my first my first uh, few years of full-time, uh, full-time guide, and I, I was taking care of all this property between Oklahoma and Kansas and Texas by myself. And oh, wow. Over the years, I got, I got a little smarter and figured out that uh, I probably need to hire a couple guides full-time to help me out. Um, yeah. You know, I had a couple of part-time ranch hands I had working for me, you know, keeping feeders filled and you yep. know building fences and you know just doing you know no- normal maintenance on the ranch but yeah got to the point to where you know i was busy so much guiding all over the place and i just couldn't be there every you know every time needed something, something needed to be done so i ended up uh hiring a, a couple guys full-time so now i've got about I've got about four full-time guides working for me now and it, it definitely uh takes some uh takes some of the headache off me yeah no kidding you you gotta do something like that when you have that much land to oh, take man, care I'll tell you of what, yeah like, i think it was the first first two or three years i did everything all by myself and i'll tell you what man yeah there's absolutely no break it was just as soon as you get up on one ranch you'd be going to texas or kansas to to pick up where you left off there so it's just like it was a never-ending game but yeah part of it no kidding and what are like when you're looking for bucks down there to shoot, what are you kind of looking for in a whitetail? Um, it really depends. Like I said, you know, between Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas, it depends. But uh, I'd say in Oklahoma, we try to we try to shoot for shooting a five and a half year old deer or older. Okay. And, and you know, if the deer's five and a half or older, I'll uh, I'll let the you know I'll let the client kill him as long as he likes. And, you know, some clients come in and they're happy with shooting a you know a cold buck a one twenty, and then some guys will you know pass up the first three or four 140 or betters that walk in just because they know you know we got 150s 160s yeah maybe 170s on camera so they're holding out you know yeah and you know so every client's different but you know when a client comes in i uh typically the first thing we do in camp is we'll sit down and uh the the spot you know i'm planning on putting them the first day you know the couple spots i plan on putting them to hunt for the next three or four days i'll run through uh all the game camera pictures and just you know 
give them an idea of what shooters and you know what to hold off on so yeah. we'll run through all the game care pictures and you know just show them you know what to look for basically so you know it doesn't surprise them because you know you have a good four and a half year old deer coming in there we want them to hold off of if you didn't show them pictures i mean yeah some guys would you know accidentally mistake and shoot the deer and you know it still happens from time to time we have a client that'll kill a deer that's you know too young but you know it's just part of it sometimes we don't have very very many mistakes i think all of last year i think we only had like one buck out of 64 oh, that wow. we killed yeah um and like i said 64 is between three different states and probably 30,000 acres or better but, yeah um i think we only had one mistake I mean, and, and it happens like i said especially you know during the rut whenever uh you got you know new bucks coming in and out from neighboring properties yeah. that may not be on camera you know they may have a buck come in that wasn't on camera so i mean pretty much at that point in time you know they got to take it in their own hands to judge it so yeah um usually early and late season when uh the bucks are on feeding patterns you know for the most part we, we know what they're going to see and then we know what's going to come in yeah. based on game cameras so i can sit there and say hey look these four bucks are shooters you see any of these you can kill them if you see these two or three bucks you know pass these up or wanting to give them you know another year or two so yeah. usually pretty easy whenever they they see something they go okay you know that's the buck he said not to shoot you know so it helps out a lot running through camera you know game uh, camera pictures oh absolutely how many game cameras do you guys have out on those properties uh, man, between, I'd say, on the 10,000 acres in Oklahoma, <laughs> I bet we're running, just on that alone, I would say we're probably running, let's see here, 3,015, I bet we probably got um, probably 60, 60 to 80 game cameras running on those, those properties. Oh, wow. Alone. Dang. And you know, not all of them. I mean, some of them are on food plants, some of them are on feeders, some of them are on trails, some of them are on you know water yeah. tanks. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd say probably half of them are cell cams. So you know, really, the only time we got to go in there is just uh, change the batteries out. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we run a lot of game cameras. Man. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to keep the batteries and everything going on all of them. But uh, we yeah. always make sure that the ones that we need running are always uh, uh, good to go. But, yeah. you know, that's just, I'd say we run between 60 and 80 just in Oklahoma. And then, you know, between Kansas, we got another 4,500 acres up there and then another 6,500 acres in Texas. So you're probably looking at another 40, Jeez. 50 cameras between those two places. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of game cameras. That's a lot of money <laughs> and just is. batteries in general. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, hey, we, we, we didn't buy, we didn't get all those cameras in one year. It's just, a, you know, yeah. over a series of years, you, it seems like you just acquire more and more stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear you see something run on a deal or something like that, and you're like, wow. Exactly, exactly. Might as well pick that thing up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. How long are the trips that you guys usually guide for, like when people come so, up? Our, our whitetail hunts are four-day hunts, okay. and, uh, you know, that and that also covers food and lodging. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, if we have some bigger groups in camp, you know, more than usually four or five guys, um, we may add a couple of days, maybe a day or two, just because you got more guys hunting, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but typically, like I said, we usually we'll, we'll, we usually get it done in, in in about you know three to four days. Like I said, I don't think we had any clients not tag out in four days last year. Oh, we're, wow. in, we're in 100% last year on actually the last three years we were in 100% on shot opportunity there was wow. actually only one group last year that left without a buck and and they missed four four different mature bucks so <laughs> they weren't disappointed in anything other than themselves but 
they uh that's, that's the way it goes sometimes man they, buck fever got the best of them but uh, they're yeah. both actually uh they're coming back this year and they're excited so i think they're gonna get some redemption oh that's awesome that's awesome do you guys have any problems with like covid and people canceling this year or anything or is it pretty man, good not really not really like i said i mean you know it kind of hit during my turkey season so yeah. i mean i was for turkey season i usually run anywhere between 30 and 35 turkey clients and okay. uh I'd say out of my, I think I had 32 books this year. I think I only had like three or four guys cancel. And it wasn't because they wanted to. It was just because they worked for a particular company that wouldn't yeah. let them travel, you know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, man, I mean, uh, and even the, the few guys that canceled, I had a couple guys, you know, to pick up the spots and rebook the, the, the dates they canceled for. So I ended up working out. But oh, that's awesome. But deer season, man, it hadn't affected anything. I haven't had anyone cancel for deer season. I think everyone's uh, yeah. pretty much over it by now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's what everyone's running into, I've noticed, just talking to oh, people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I know we are. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but with, <laughs> with your uh, whitetail hunts, are they all like in tree stands, or are you spot and stocking them as well? Man, it really depends on the time of year. Um, we have well, probably about 50% tree stands, and the uh, other 50% is probably ground blinds. Okay. Um, but uh, we, we hunt on either a tree stand or a ground blind, unless, uh, you know, it's the rut. You know, during the rut, um, especially during rifle season, because our uh, rifle season falls right on the rut here in Oklahoma. So okay. um, it's usually they're chasing pretty hard during rifle season. So um, when we have our rifle hunters come in, uh, if some guys want to do some spot and stock, we do, uh, we, we do some spot and stock hunts as well as uh some guys will sit in box blinds yeah. or a tree stand but um it just really depends upon the client what he wants to do but yeah we definitely uh especially when buck bucks start locking down with does and stuff and chasing pretty hard but we'll uh, we'll usually do a handful of spot and stock hunts a year you know during during rifle season so yeah yeah because i was looking at your uh spot and stock with nicole from driven hunter yeah yeah that's pretty cool did you get did you get to watch that episode? Yeah, I watched that episode. It was awesome. Yeah, it turned out pretty good, man. Yeah, yeah, they passed up. I, I bet they passed up 40, 50 bucks a piece before they decided to kill those. But, you know, oh, wow. they hit it perfect timing. They came in, and the bucks were chasing hard. Yeah. But what, what we kind of figured out after the first couple of days is a lot of the bucks we were seeing, you know, uh, cruising through were, you know, year and a half two and a half three and a half yeah you know bucks and a lot of the old older mature bucks were locked down with dogs so and we were driving in and out we, we kept spotting you know these these mature bucks locked down with those out in the, out in the crp field so i told them i said look i said i know we've been sitting in the blinds the first two days and they were seeing a lot of deer but, but i said and every time i come in to get you guys i say i keep seeing these you know i keep seeing these mature bucks locked down with these dough out in the crp so i said tomorrow morning you know, let's, let's switch up the tactics and uh, let's try some spot and stock. Yeah. And man, it paid off. We got in there the first thing that morning, and we actually had uh, one buck. Um, it was a, a, across the, the road from where she actually ended up killing hers. It was on another piece of property I had. We were about to make a stock on. We we uh, on daylight. We started glassing, and uh, I spotted one buck to the spot and scope, locked down with a doe. And he's a good buck. He's probably he's probably right at 150. And yeah. we were actually, you know, getting all the camera gear ready and getting ready to make a stock. And then I turned around and looked across the road on the other side, and there was an even bigger buck with a doe. Oh wow! So like so we so we we forgot that buck and drove down the road a little bit and uh, came up with a game plan. And I actually took him around the backside and dropped him off, and uh, they snuck in from the back, the wind in the face, and then we we circled back around. 
got up on top of the hill to spot and scope me and the, the second cameraman. Yeah. And watched the bucks from the top of the hill just, you know, just make sure he didn't slip out of there whenever they were trying to sneak in. Yeah. And they sneaked in from the bottom and uh, belly crawled up, got in position, and it just worked out perfect, man. It was a textbook. The That's bucks awesome. Was so occupied, but uh, uh, he was running some younger bucks off that kept trying to come in and, and mess with his doe. He had uh, yeah. bedded down right there in front of him, so he kept running bucks off and wasn't paying attention to them at all. Plus, they had the wind in their face. They stalked in probably 75 yards, got set up, and he just ran a buck. He just ran about a two and a half year old buck over the hill, kept running right back in, and they just ended up getting a perfect shot. She hammered him. So that's awesome. And that deer, I think that deer ended up going like 163, 164. He Jeez. was a hammer. So, and then we were sitting there. It was funny. We were sitting there and kind of doing an interview and stuff after she shot her buck, talking about a high five, still celebrating. Yeah. And we looked up on the hill across the road and another probably mid 150s buck and another um, buck that he was fighting with was probably upper 140s. Oh, wow. They, they were hooking it up on the hill about probably 600 yards from us. Jeez. And they were, they were, and they got a little bit of it on film, but they were sitting there fighting over a doe. Well, yeah. So we, we finished up there and me and Pat grabbed the cameraman went there and parked by this time it's probably 1 p.m okay so it's the middle of the day so yeah. we parked the truck and uh circled around got the wind in our face and and we were basically making a big loop around to get the wind in our face and we were stalking um doing a little bit of spot stock to try to see if we could spot that buck again they, they kind of disappeared in the timber but on the back side of the timber was another crp field but okay. we knew where they were headed and we were just trying to cut them off well, yeah we got, we got the wind in our face, circled around, and uh, as soon as we came out of the timber, we stopped and glassed, and dude, we, we perfectly, perfectly cut him off. They can't, he came walking out of the timber with his doe. As soon as he walked out, he stopped, and he bred her on camera. We got it all on camera. It's pretty slick. <laughs> That's awesome. He got done breeding her. He, he uh, walked out of the timber, and Pat hammers him. So, oh, my God. It, uh, it, it, it couldn't work out any better. We killed both those bucks within about three hours apart, and, you know, right there in the same vicinity. Yeah, but so both of them ended up being spot and stock hunts. It was just for that time frame, man. It was just it was uh, it was by far the best tactic. I mean, all the all the big mature bucks were just locked down with does, and they were keeping them out in those CRP fields, yeah, away from all the other bucks and breeding them. So it just worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. What's it uh, What's it like having a camera crew with you? Is that make it a little more challenging, or is it not really? Oh, it de- oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely camera crews make it more challenging. I mean, over the years, you know, you just kinda you kinda get used to it and just you kinda know what to expect and know what you need to do to adjust for it. But yeah, having a camera crew definitely makes it more challenging because, you know, you, you gotta do things differently to make sure you get good you know, you get good footage. Yeah. And there's certain things that um, you know, sneaking up over the edge and taking a quick shot or or um, you know, doing things that you would do without a camera to where you don't have to worry about footage which makes the hunt 10 times easier yeah you can't do it you got a camera man you got to make sure you get plenty of you know pre-roll of the deer coming in and you know stuff like that so oh yeah and and not to mention you got twice as many people you know to get seen and and to get winded so it just makes it that that much more difficult but like i said uh, you know just just uh part of it and i kind of i kind of learned over the years what to expect and uh, kind of adapt for it when they come in. So yeah. I got most of my stands and and blinds set up to where you know with the camera crews in there, it's set up perfect for a cameraman to be in there with them. You know, whether oh. it's a tree stand or a a, a ground blind, make it a little bit easier for them. Because I know how it is. It's already difficult enough getting 
the, the, the kill and everything on film. Yeah. So. No kidding. But it makes it that much more rewarding when you, when, like I said, whenever you get it done and you watch those episodes come together. Yeah. Um, all that hard work, it definitely pays off whenever you can uh, watch an episode at the end of the year. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, are you doing just whitetail hunts through October until the end of whenever your season is? Yeah, from, I'd say from, from October to... Um, from October to, to January 15th, I just focus on me and uh, I have one other guy working for me. Me and him just focus on whitetails, but I still got my my two waterfowl guides okay. that deal with nothing but waterfowl hunters during those, during that time frame. So if I got guys you know booked for duck hunts yeah. in November and goose hunts in December, they take care of all those clients. And yeah. then as soon as we get done with clients, the the deer clients, whether it's you know late December, or early uh, January, then we we transfer over to to helping them guide waterfowl hunts and uh quail and pheasant hunts too yeah <laughs> till about you know mid-february so, yeah and then we get about a month break and then as soon as uh april 1st starts and we go right into turkey season so yeah that's awesome dude you're you're on the move <laughs> oh yeah we'll kill a few hogs throughout deer season like if i have some clients to go to early um yeah i'll let them go back in there and if they want to kill a doe or um we always got a couple of feeders, a bunch of hogs show up too. So if they want to go in there and try to kill a few hogs, yeah, I'll let them go in there and you know shoot a hog or two or whatever. Oh, that's sweet. Is the uh, hogs quite a bit of problem over there? Man, yeah. Seems like uh, years ago we never had much problem in a lot of these ranches, but over the years, yeah, they've they've moved in pretty good, and we got quite a few of them now. And it's not a, a terrible problem during deer season. It's not like they ruin every one of your hunts or everything. Okay. But. Um, definitely see them but if you sit into them every, every so often they they get a little more sporadic to where they don't come into the feeder every day i mean you may see them once every three or four days but yeah. if they come in usually whoever's in the in the blind tree stands more than willing to shoot them so yeah fair enough it kind of helps keeping them in there too much yeah you gotta put a little bit of pressure on them yeah and how do they taste are they good at all oh no they're really good as long as from what i've, what I've seen over the years um, I used to guide hog hunts a bunch of years ago, and okay. I still do. But uh, um, what, what, I, what I've seen over the years is about a 200-pound pig or under will taste the best. If you get anything over 200 pounds, I'm not saying you can't eat them. You can still eat them, but they, they get a little gamier. Yeah. Um, really about the, the perfect size pig is between a 100 and 150-pound sow. Okay. 100 and 150-pound sow, I mean, you almost couldn't tell the difference between – you know, eating her and then, uh, uh, you know, a pig you'd buy from the store. No kidding. They, they taste almost identical, yeah. Like I said, you start getting a boar bigger than 200 pounds, you know, we've eaten them before, but they just get a little gamier. So yeah. typically 200 pounds or under if we can keep it, you know, for, you know, the ones we eat, 200 pounds and under is my favorite. Usually yeah. the rest of the ones I'll give away to someone else. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. What kind of, uh, you said you did a little hog hunting guiding what kind of tactics do you like to use man really uh, my favorite especially during the summer i mean hunting them over feeders and water holes that's that's always a good time yeah uh, but my favorite in the summertime like especially on my texas ranch we'll uh, we'll catch them out in the middle of the wheat fields at night oh and hunt, hunting them in with the thermal and our vision at night that's hands down my favorite it's That's, a blast. You get three or four guys, you get a big old group of pigs. And, uh, <laughs> out of a wheat field, you stock up to them at night, get, you know, 75, 
hundred yards, sometimes closer. Yeah. And then you just open up on them. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> my favorite. And ther- I, I like night vision too, but I'd say thermal's my favorite. Yeah. But that's that's definitely my favorite way. Usually, that's usually my client's favorite way to hunt them too. Yeah. So uh, he's always got a lot of guys coming in wanting to wanting to do the thermal night hunts in Texas. <laughs> They're blessed. Oh, I can imagine. Do you guys and go? And usually, like, you can on a big group, you can kill you know anywhere between ten and fifteen hogs if you got some good shooters. So. Oh wow. Yeah, because how big do those groups get to? Like, oh, I mean, depending on the field. I mean, we, we've had up to 100 pigs or more in a field at a time. I mean, oh my God. several different big groups out there just rooting around at night, you know. And, uh, um, yeah, but, I mean, you'll, it's no thing to see a group of, you know, 25, 30 pigs in one group. But yeah. usually, usually at night, a bunch of bunch of big different groups will come out there together, root around at night. So That's awesome. Plus, the farmers love you taking them off their fields because they'll ruin a wheat field. Yeah, that's what I heard. They just tear apart crops. Oh, man. Yeah, they do some destruction. They'll, they'll come up there and just completely ruin a wheat field. So you gotta, you got to try to keep them under control. You can't completely get rid of them. That's the only way you can, you can completely get rid of them is uh, trapping helps a lot. But yeah. um, bringing in a helicopter is about the only way you can wipe them off a piece of property. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and that's a, that's a fun way to kill them. Really, uh, over thermal, shooting them out of the helicopter is my favorite way. But favorite yeah. way to shoot them on the ground is probably with thermal at night. Yeah, have you done the helicopter then? Oh yeah, it's a blast, man! It's an absolute blast. <laughs> yeah, I've it's seen pretty, some videos. It's incredible how good those pilots are. The pilots will just keep you right on them the entire time. I've done it in Africa too. So, I mean, uh, oh, Africa wow. was pretty cool doing it in Africa. We did it in Africa on warthogs, and that was a blast. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've done it. I've done it in Texas out of uh, helicopter too, um, and it was it was an absolute blast. Yeah. In, in an hour, you, you'll 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 get enough shooting, and I can promise you. Yeah. Oh my God, that'd be that would be something to do for sure. That would be. Oh, it's incredible! You got a little harness on you, and you kind of hang out the side, and yeah, and uh, and you just give them hell. Yeah, just start wiping, just wiping <laughs> shells. That's right. Yeah, you'll shoot. You'll shoot plenty of. I mean, we shot them with both ways. We shot them with ARs out of the helicopter. And we've actually shot them with buckshot too. But oh, wow. both ways are both ways are uh, a blast. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How do the – do they just get permission from landowners, or how do they do that? I, w- I yeah, was wondering about that. Yeah, typically they'll, they'll get permission from a lot of different landowners, or they'll, they'll have a piece of property leased. Okay. But usually all the neighboring properties, especially if you go, if, if they're doing it during the off-season when, you know, there's not deer hunters and stuff yeah. on there. Yeah. Usually all the landowners are more than willing to let you do it because, you know, they want you to send the hogs out or yeah. on their property because, you know, you know how it is. They get out of hand out there. So. Uh-huh. Well, that's so, yeah, awesome. Typically, typically, you don't got to twist the landowner's arm very much to get you permission <laughs> to shoot hogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Because that'd be, yeah, that'd be intense. That would be Oh, intense. yeah. It's a, it's a blast, man. It's a blast. You got definitely going to try sometime. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. That's definitely one of the goals in life is to be able to shoot hogs out of a helicopter. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you won't regret it. I promise you. It's worth every bit of it. Yeah. It's worth, worth, worth every bit of the money you pay for it. I can promise you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Now, when you guys are, uh, like, at your ranches, do you plant food plots and stuff for your deer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We do. So, I mean, um, most of my Oklahoma ranches, we... Uh, we got winter wheat on most of most of my Oklahoma and Texas ranches. Okay. Um, especially like this, one of uh, one of my big ranches is out western Oklahoma and the Panhandle of Texas, so it's pretty dry out there. Yeah. Um, don't get a ton of rain, so winter wheat does pretty well out there. You know, it does good for not getting very much rain. Still grows pretty good. So, 
and uh, and it usually grows good just about you know most of the soil types so usually uh, that does the best out there so that's pretty much for the most part what we plant out there okay um, in Kansas obviously we got so many crops that are already up there yeah. um, you know most of our places already got you know soybeans and and uh, corn and milo planted all over them so we got plenty of food already as it is you know yeah oh yeah What's your... Yeah, primar- primarily in Texas and Oklahoma, we uh, we have uh, uh, wheat fields in all of our property. Okay. What... And it does good. It does good. Yeah. What's your favorite food plot to hunt over? Man, when it when it comes when it comes down to uh, late October, early November, especially you know during gun season when you're out there in western Oklahoma or Texas. Yeah. You just hunt some of those winter wheat fields are, are probably some of my favorite because especially you know bucks are during pre-rut and a rut when all those bucks are starting to come out there and check those i yeah. mean you'll have anywhere between 70 and 100 deer in oh, those wow. fields in the evening so you know it starts out you know a bunch of does and young bucks will come out and it starts getting closer to dark you start having all your you know more mature bucks start moving out there and that's really probably my favorite time of the year to hunt those winter wheat fields and they can be a blast to hunt, like I said, that time of the year whenever you got all the does out there because you got all the bucks coming in, you know, yeah. checking yeah. all those does. So you can have some pretty incredible hunts, evening hunts out there. Mornings are a little tougher to hunt them because, you know, a lot of those deer will be on that weed all night long. So yeah. you try to, try to get in there in the morning. Typically, you're going to clear the field, so it makes it tough to hunt them in the morning. So okay. um, the, just hunting over the weed field typically will do more of the evening hunts. But, man, it's it's pretty incredible when you you have, you know, 70 to 100 deer in an evening is definitely yeah. definitely got plenty of entertainment yeah no kidding yeah that's that's awesome because we up here it's just a lot of corn that's what most people hunt over soybeans and yeah. stuff like that so a little bit different but yeah, that's really. what i've noticed you know the difference between you know you put corn out in tons you put corn on the ground yeah or put a feeder up it seems like the deer, the deer will hit up still yeah. Um, but, you know, once they start harvesting crops in Kansas, you know, a lot of the deer, they got so much food around, they don't really need to come to your corn pile anymore. I'm not saying they won't hit it. They, strip, they still will. But, yeah. um, you know, once they start cutting some beans and corn, they got, they got corn all over every field they, they go to. So it's not like they got a key in on your feeders yeah. for food. Yeah. You know, in Oklahoma and Texas, once everything starts dying off and they don't got near as much food, they pound the feeders. So, I mean, that's really that really uh helps us out a lot so we key in on you know feeders and the wheat fields they'll really start pounding the wheat fields too but yeah um oklahoma we got a, we got a lot of acorns so whenever the acorns start dropping okay. you'll notice a little bit of a drop in the deer hitting the feeders yeah uh, just because they're feeding on the acorns a lot but uh in texas we don't have any acorns there so pretty much they uh when all their main all their main food starts dying they'll uh, they'll really key in on the wheat and the in the corn feeders and they'll, they'll, they'll be pretty consistent i mean they're as long as you don't pressure them too much they're there just about every morning and evening so yeah yeah so you guys are allowed to use feeders down there yeah yep yeah. um uh, we can use them in kansas uh oklahoma and texas but like i said i definitely oklahoma and texas they're definitely a uh, a game changer more than they are in kansas just because there's so much natural you know they got so many crops in kansas yeah. they got so much food to pick from it you know as it is yeah but now in oklahoma and texas yeah i'd say a lot of our uh, um a lot of our clients either shoot their shoot their bucks either over a feeder or you know hunting a wheat field or yeah. a, you know a transition area to and from a wheat field yeah yeah what so, are you what no, are you they look- definitely key in on them. 
What do you look for when you're hunting a transition area? Um, so like, like, like if, if, if we're hunting transition area for like to a, uh, to and from a wheat to like, we'll, we'll, we'll put a stand or a blind, like in the pinch point, like, you know, maybe we're like the, the timber bottlenecks down Okay. Uh, right before it goes into the field. Basically when you're looking at your, you're looking at, yeah, all right, this is the only place these deer can walk through to yeah. get to that field. Cause also the deer are going to use the cover, right? Naturally. Yeah. So yeah. they're either going to use whether you know whether it's brush or or timber or tall CRP, they're going to use that cover to get to and from you know where they're going just for safety reasons. Yeah. So um, if we got you know several we got several areas where we know the deer use you know a particular pinch point to go to and from their bedding area to food in the evens. You know, we'll put a stand or ground button on it, and almost every deer will use it to get out there because they're obviously going to use that than walking across a you know wide open you know field that's got short grass, obviously. Yeah. So they just feel safer. So that's typically the, you know areas we key in on if, if we're going to put a stand or blind on something that you know doesn't have food on it, and okay. you can just you know keep them uh, catch them traveling to and from. Yeah. Usually in the mornings we're catching them traveling back from the food from the wheat field headed back to bedding area and then in the evenings you're catching them going to the wheat field so yeah, yeah. that's what we'll do sometimes like i said if we don't want to clear a wheat field in the morning you know it's tough to get in tough to get in and hunt wheat fields in the morning so typically we'll hunt the transition areas catching them coming off the wheat back to bed so yeah. get in yeah. there without you know disturbing them yeah. and uh still get one killed absolutely and then we'll typically hunt food more than either. Yeah. Do you guys have like all the bedding areas marked and everything of where they're at? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. See, one of the biggest things we do too in a lot of properties we leave we leave plenty of sanctuaries. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong is they'll get a big old piece of property and they think they need a they think they need a stand or a blind in every piece of the property and that's not the case, you know. Yeah. Typically if you get a big old piece of property, you invade every bit of it, you know, and your mature bucks don't have anywhere they can go where they feel safe you're not going to home there as many deer so i think that's where we hold so many deer on a lot of our properties we got big old giant you know chunks of land that we don't ever touch you know yeah and they're thick nasty parts of the property that we just leave completely alone you know for basically a sanctuary those deer can go and they know that they're you know they're never going to get messed with so yeah. and we just hunt the we just, we just hunt the edges of it all okay so we got stands on the edges of a lot of it um pulling them out of that stuff you know whether we're using you know a wheat field or a, a food plot or a a corn feeder pulling them out and hunting the edges of it all and leaving the sanctuary alone yeah and that's that's that we've we've uh, we've learned that's by far been the best key to to keeping a lot of mature bucks on the property yeah um and just having the, you know different sets based upon the wind to where you obviously your, your sense never blowing into the the bedding area yeah do you guys ever use uh what's it called uh um like the um scent uh detector it's like ozone oh you're talking about ozonics yeah ozonics that's yeah. what ozonics works for them. actually I, I, i've been i've been using ozonics ever since it came out i've used it on using a bunch of white tail hunts over the years i've used it on bear hunts in canada and what, what i've seen those ozonics they work i mean there's no doubt about it they work yeah um but what I've seen over the years is if you've got about a 10-mile per 
probably about a 10 mile per hour win or under okay that's consistent they work awesome because yeah you put them above you and basically the ozone's blanket it's blanketing your your uh your sit zone so um if you can get a consistent win 10 mile per hour or under put the thing above you and it'll you know it'll blanket your scent zone yeah and i've i've had five and a half six and a half year old five to six and a half year old bucks come in directly downwind i couldn't even tell you how many times she's ozonic <laughs> to where if i didn't have it i would have got winded you know yeah um but it's always been on those nights to where i've had a 10 mile per hour wind or under that was consistent to where it was able to blanket my scent zone if you start okay. getting you know 20 mile per hour winter over you know how it gets when it gets 20 mile per hour yeah. winter over you're in the tree stand it's sporadic it's going everywhere yeah <laughs> but when it's like that those on the ozonics has no way of blanketing you know has no way of blanketing your scent zone and covering it all yeah it's going everywhere so yeah i'm not saying it's completely worthless but it's not going to completely cover your scent so you can still definitely get winded on nights like that but on the, on the calm evenings like where you know a lot of your evenings typically that the wind will die before dark yeah those ozones have have came in clutch for us many times especially hunting a ground blind you know if you get your hunting a ground blind yeah you kind of got scent contained in, you know a lot more anyways just because you can keep your windows shut to keep your scent from blowing in and out um um using them in there big time game changer so we'll definitely use them on our ground blinds and tree stands like i said hands down 10 mile per hour winter under consistent yeah i'd say it works you know 95 percent of the time yeah and uh we've uh, definitely killed a killed a lot of mature bucks coming in from downwind on those on those types of situations. Yeah, there's no doubt that work. I mean, they use those uh, ozone generators. I mean, I have a I have a cousin that uh, he does maintenance for apartments, and they, they said if you know if, if anyone moves out of an apartment complex, they'll bring in an ozone generator to get rid of the smell in there, like if it smells bad or something. Yeah, they'll bring in an ozone generator and they'll turn it on. They'll come back a couple hours later, and all the smell's gone. So oh, I mean, wow. there's no doubt that it works. Yeah, it's just using it on the right situations. I know I've had guys use them before for their very first time, and they go in there and be a 20 mile per hour wind or better. They're like, man, I still got winded. I'm like, mm, using it on the, you know, the wrong situation. <laughs> I'm not saying don't put it up. Yeah. Anything can help. But it, it, it's not 100. percent You got the wind going everywhere. You know. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. But no, it definitely works. Yeah. Now with like scent, do you ever use like dough urine and stuff like that? Do you guys do oh, that yeah, a lot? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely during pre-rut and rut, we'll uh, we'll make mock scrapes. Yeah. And uh, put, I mean, usually when it's early, we'll put dough peat out. When it gets closer to where we know some does are coming into estrus, we'll yeah. uh, we'll put dough in estrus. And I, I, you know, I've used drag rags going in the tree stands. You know, whether you you sometimes we'll just put it straight on the bottom of your rubber boots or put it on a drag rag and drag it behind you yeah dough and estrus and we've had bucks over the years that'll just troll right into you right into your tree stand or ground line or whatever oh wow either way yeah we usually we'll uh early season i'll put some you know we'll make some mock scrapes and put either you know buck pee or dough pee in it just enough to you know get a buck to come in and check it out you know just because he's interested yeah. smells a new deer a new deer in the area yeah come in and check it out like i said once it gets closer to the rut um we'll start putting dough and estrus on the drag rag um or in the mock scrape and usually i mean it doesn't work every time but on some mornings you'll definitely see it he'll catch a buck buck's attention he'll come in with his nose up in the air trying to trying to see what dough in the area is an estrus you know you can smell it in the scrape or yeah. he may come by the scrape that he smells in or we may put dominant buck urine in the scrape and he'll come and hit the scrape um usually um areas that we know you know a lot of bucks are using the scrape line already anyway so we'll 
we'll make several several mock scrapes put dominant buck urine or doe pee or doe and estrus in it yeah you know, depending on what time of the year it is and they'll come by and they'll absolutely hammer i got a bunch of game camera videos over the years of them hammering them that's awesome they definitely work i'm excited they don't work every time but they're definitely definitely worth using yeah kind of my rule my rule over the years been if i got a particular deer i'm going in there to hunt if i got a buck that's coming into a feeder or a food plot every single evening without you know doing anything different like if he's coming there every single day on game camera yeah. there's no reason to change anything up so i never put sim out yeah on a buck that's coming in every single day because you know what, what's the reason yeah exactly he's already coming in right yeah so there's no reason to change anything up to where he comes in smells something and maybe it, it, it he decides not to come in because he smells something different you know yeah oh, so 100%. if we're ever hunting a particular deer that's coming in consistently i'll never put sun out if you're going in there trying to make something happen i always put sun out you know because okay. it, it may bring in a buck that you know you'd have never seen otherwise so. yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense absolutely method to your madness <laughs> that's awesome but yeah so when you guys are done doing all your deer hunts what kind of waterfall are you chasing um we do uh like i said we most of the waterfall hunts we do are in oklahoma and uh kansas um i'd say we do most of our duck hunts in oklahoma okay um, some in northeast oklahoma some in western oklahoma yeah and uh we, we shoot a variety man we shoot mallards we shoot gadwalls we shoot divers yeah and we shoot we shoot literally a little bit of everything till okay. um, that's kind of cool about this area is you usually if you come on here you'll shoot a variety but we shoot a lot of mallards um and then for our goose hunts and we, we shoot a bunch of small geese out west yeah uh, western oklahoma but we go up uh to kansas a lot of our clients will book our goose hunts in kansas um, up near Topeka, and we we pound the big geese up there. Okay. They got yeah. a lot of, a lot of birds up there. So we typically from December all the way to about midway through February, we uh, we pound the geese up there, and we usually do pretty well. Got a lot of birds up there in that area. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you guys do any in Texas or? Yeah, we do some in Texas. We do, we 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 we, uh, we run some waterfowl hunts up there in the Panhandle of Texas. Okay. And it's kind of like Western Oklahoma, but the same terrain. Yeah. So. Uh, we, we, we do some there um but i'd say for the most part most of it's in uh um oklahoma and kansas but we, we do a few in texas yeah oh i hear you on that and then for your turkey hunts where do you guys is that all over the place oh yeah um so most of our turkey hunts we do all three states but i mean our our um oklahoma birds you're gonna kill are gonna be rios Okay. Our Texas birds are going to be Rios, and then Kansas stuff is going to be Eastern. So yeah. it's not what the client wants. I mean, some guys um, like going to Texas because you can you can kill more times in Texas. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think you you can buy a four you can get four tom tags over the counter. Oh wow. In Texas, so it's a big difference than <laughs> I mean, Kansas. You know, Kansas, you can shoot. Um, they they lowered it to one bird this past year yeah. on the on the uh, part of the state that we got in. So um, we can only shoot one bird there, and it used to be two. Um, they had the bird numbers kind of go down last year, so they changed from two to one. Okay. Uh, so only two or one in Kansas right there where we got in. You can shoot four in Texas, which that's what <laughs> a lot of the guys like doing. Plus they're hunting Rios. Yeah. Know, hunting Rios in Texas are blast just because they're so vocal. But yeah. Um, and then in Oklahoma we can kill two, but some of the counties in Oklahoma we can only kill one bird in. Okay. Um, so I think some of the counties in Oklahoma you can kill two. You can kill both birds in, and some of them you can only kill one, and you gotta go to a different county to kill your second bird. So. Okay. 
Yeah. But I it really depends. I mean, some guys, if they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get their turkey slam out of the way, they either got a Eastern on their list or a Rio. So some of them want to go to a different state depending upon what they need. And yeah. then some of them just, you know, they, they'd rather go shoot a Kansas bird because they're bigger birds or they'd rather go shoot a Texas bird because they can kill more and they're more vocal. So yeah, they're both, they're both a fun. Just really depend upon, you know, what the client wants. Yeah, absolutely. Are they, uh, are they much different, like, acting-wise, besides being a little more vocal? Yeah, the Easterns are definitely more stubborn birds. I mean, there's some days we'll, we'll go in, set up with clients, and, you know, we've scouted two or three days before we get the birds completely figured out. Yeah. And you have an Eastern hit the ground, he'll be gobbling his head off in the, in the tree, and as soon as he flies down from his roost, he just shuts up, won't hard to gobble the rest of the morning. Yeah. And that's just how Easterns are sometimes, and, you know, they can be stubborn, so... Um, and then sometimes you, you, you go set up and they hit the ground, they gobble all the way in, they come right in the first 30 minutes and we get them killed. Textbook. But yeah, um, I'd say as a whole, the, the Rios are definitely easier to easier to hunt because typically they respond to the call a little bit better, depending upon the day. But either way, they're always a lot more vocal. So, you know, when you're running and gunning throughout the day, it seems like you, you can always locate um, Rios a lot easier than you can Eastern just, just because they're so vocal, you know? Yeah. Oh, I hear it. But they're both they're both fun their own way for sure. Yeah. Now, do you guys just hunt ground blinds for them, or are you chasing them all day, like you said? I don't know. It, it really depends um, on the client. Um, if we have guys coming in uh, to bow hunt, we use ground blinds. Yeah. And uh, you know we'll set up decoys and use a ground blind. But um, if if we got a guy with a shotgun, we will typically set up somewhere or run and gun depending upon you know the client the, guy, the guy's able to get around pretty good we'll usually run and gun that's yeah. my favorite way to hunt them if we're able to do it you know yeah it just really depends i mean if we got birds that are cooperating we always try to call them in right off the roost you know soon as we get the ground you know the, the textbook situation you want a bird coming in yep i mean that's that's what it, well, that's what it's all about but every now and then want to cooperate and we got to do the old fan trick on them <laughs> yeah <laughs> which works out well too if you got some birds that aren't cooperating we'll belly crawl out to a field and uh and usually about especially on oklahoma and texas usually about i'd say 80 to 90 percent of the time if you get close enough to him with that fan he'll come running over to you especially if he's got hands oh wow try to run, run over to you to try to he thinks it's another tom trying to get close to his hands so typically he'll run into you yeah and try, try to try to what he thinks is another tom and try to run them off you know yeah what's the so it works out, it worked out good for that it works on single toms too i would say we stick up and get a bird in the right place um we'll sneak up usually what we try to look for is try to get a bird out in a field to where we can you know belly crawl up to it or or use a creek to sneak around to get in position yeah and then pop up that fan and and uh you get in the right position it works a lot of the time he'll come right, right into you and usually by the time you pull a trigger he's right on top of you i mean we've had him come all the way up to the fan before you could almost grab him so, oh my god that'd be yeah. intense it, it makes for an exciting huh <laughs> yeah that would be intense absolutely <laughs> but yeah it just really depends man it just depends on what the turkeys are doing yeah kind of gotta adapt to them yeah ideally i'd, I'd obviously rather call every single one of them into the decoys but you know they know we work out that way <laughs> yeah yeah we uh i've never tried running and gunning but i definitely definitely would like to this next season because no, i feel it, like it, 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 it definitely my favorite way if you got if you got the property to do it you got enough yeah. property to do it it's definitely my favorite way i mean if you're hunting a small piece of property it may not be as good yeah good as an idea just in case you mess up and push birds off your property mm-hmm. maybe better off you know sitting still and waiting them out yeah 
Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, if I'm, if I'm running and gunning, I I usually do it on a bigger piece of property to where you know we can cover some ground. I don't have to worry about you know messing them up and pushing them off the property. Yeah. If I'm hunting a smaller piece of property, usually we'll set up you know in an area where I know the birds are going to be you know being at some point in time throughout the day, whether it's a strut a strut zone or a place you're going to come through and feed at, you know wheat field or something and you know just call about every you know call call every 15 to 30 minutes and and usually at some point in time they're going to show up you know yeah or or you'll get a bird to respond to you and come in yeah what do you uh prefer to as a call do you like mouth calls like slate calls (laughs) i'm I'm the same it really depends on the situation on those two i always have a diaphragm in my mouth yeah for when the birds get in close where you don't have to move, you know? So yeah. I always keep it out of my mouth and I use a lot. But, you know, if it's a windy day and I'm trying to get the sound out there um, and, you know, it's hard to, you know, I know it's going to be tough for the birds to hear. It's real windy. I'll use the box call, especially if we're running the gun. Okay. Um, and then, like I said, I use the sled a lot too. Usually I use a box call for running the gun and it's real windy. And I need, you know, I need a call that's a little bit louder to get some noise, you know, to get the sound to carry a little further. Yeah. And then usually if I sit down and get set up, we got a bird work and I use a, I use a, uh, um, I would either use a diaphragm or a flight call. Okay. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they all come in handy, depending on all three come in handy, depending upon the situation, you know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Because I, I've just really used uh, mouth call and slate call, and I. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they're those are both the, the most definitely the most used out of yeah. the three. But you know, box. Box call's got its place on the on certain days, you know. Oh, I can imagine. When it's really windy, just because it's they're a lot louder, and you typically that sound will carry a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear you on that. Um, and then I wanted to dig into your gator guiding. What's that like? Man, it's a blast. Uh, it, it, and we hunt them a little bit. You know, we we hunt them we hunt them a little bit of every way possible too i mean yeah we do we do a lot of you know setting lines the day before like probably everyone's saying small people you know yeah <laughs> you, set, you set them the day before with chicken yeah and a hook and a cane pole and a, and a line you come back the next day and go check them all and pull them up and shoot them with the 22 yeah um which is a blast but um and we shoot them uh, other ways too um we've had guys you know come in with a bow shoot them with a bow we had a couple guys coming this year oh wow and uh shoot them with bows but I, th- I think the majority of our clients come in and just they want to do the, the normal line pulling situation that you know you see them swamp people they want to go in there and fight them on the line pull them yeah. in and shoot them but yeah. you, you, we have our occasional guys that come in and and uh, you know want to shoot them with a bow or whatever so how do you shoot them with a bow um so I mean it's same situation we, we, we can bring them in and pull them up on the line yeah and instead of shooting them with a gun shoot them with a bow Okay. And another thing guys do, you probably see them do it. I think they do. They do it in Florida quite a bit. Is they'll put a buoy on them, so they'll pull them up, shoot them, and they'll, they'll take uh-huh. off and and they'll follow that buoy and they'll pull them up again on the buoy. And if they need to put an arrow, you know, another arrow, arrow in them, they will. If not, okay. You hit them perfect the first time. Usually it's over. You know. Yeah, because you, you want to sh- you want to shoot them in the back of the head, right? Yep. There's a little like not even the size of a golf ball right there where their brain's at and you get it right in there perfectly i mean that's it it'll do them in but if you miss it a lot of times it, it'll just stun them <laughs> yeah you may, think, you may think you killed them and you didn't i mean it may stun them for five minutes and they'll come back to life yeah but, uh, you almost always know when they're dead because they'll throw up like this stomach acid um, oh wow and you know if they throw up that stomach acid they're dead yeah but i'd say the majority of our clients coming in and pulling lines you know you know 
Crocs. We've shot Crocs and uh, and and Africa, and we've done it. Oh wow! You know, a lot of the way we do it there is just you catch them up on a sand bank or a bank, and yeah. you sneak in, get set up, and you just shoot them off the bank with a rifle. Okay. And that's a fun. Well, that's a fun way to shoot. Yeah, that's a fun way to, to to kill them too. But I think for people, you know, here in the states, everyone watch, has watched swamp people over the years, and everyone wants to. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. They, want, they want to be able to pull the line and fight them on the line and get them in there and, you know, yeah. shoot them up next to the boat. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a good time, man. Yeah, I feel like everybody that's watched hunting for gators, that's the way to do it. Oh, yeah. No, everyone definitely has to, they've never done it before, definitely has to experience it that way. Um, yeah. Just being able to fight them on the lines, uh, it's a it's a blast and, and it's adrenaline rush. And you wouldn't believe how many people, that's their that's one of their top of their bucket list animals. I couldn't tell how many people. Oh, I can imagine. Me during, uh, during gator season saying, man, I can't wait. Can't wait to come in. This is my, this has been on top of my bucket list forever. So <laughs> a lot of people love coming and hunting them. But they're, uh, if you haven't done it, you at least got to do it once in your lifetime. And they're they're yeah. they're they're fun to hunt. Yeah, and is there like a limit on them, or can you just what's the deal with that? You, you, you just gotta you just it, it, you just got. I mean, most guys only come in and buy one tag. Okay. So depending depending upon the property you're on, um, uh, whoever's in control of the property uh, leases it or has or uh, gets the tags, they'll have, they'll get so many tags per property, right? Yeah. So they can sell whatever, however many tags they want to whoever. But, you know, typically, you know, guys are paying anywhere between $2,000 dollars a piece. Typically, yeah. most guys won't buy more than just one tag. But hell, we've had guys come in and buy five tags. It's like, man, I want to kill five gators. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and we and we can we can shoot we can shoot them up until we run out of tags. So like this particular property we're hunting on this year, we had sixty tags on. So we can sell those tags to whoever we want. Yeah. But once those 60, 60 tags are up, then we can't kill any more gators on that property. So. Okay. That's yeah. kind of how it works. But like I said, most guys, you know, come in and kill one gator a piece. Yeah. But every now and then you, you get a guy comes in and buys three, four, five, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he wants to try to kill the biggest one he can. So. Yeah. And I've heard they taste amazing. Oh, they taste really good. They taste really good. Yeah. Yeah, they taste awesome. I, there are very few clients that don't take their meat home. <laughs> and if they don't take it home, we always got someone that wants it. So. Yeah. How is uh, How do most people cook them up down there? Most of them, we, we, we fry probably more than anything. Okay. You know, fried gator tail, I'd say we do that more than anything. Yeah. And that's probably the most preferred. But they got all different kinds of recipes, guys, deal with them now. But I'd say the majority of them, we always do, you know, fried alligator, whether it's for the main course okay. or uh, um, for an appetizer. But no, uh, it's, it's good meat, man. It's really good. Yeah. And do you only take like the tail or is there more meat on the rest of the body so they got they got some there's some there's some meat on the rest of the body that's edible too yeah but the tail's the, the main the main meat that you'll you'll eat on a gator okay. i mean like when you're eating when you if you ever eat gator at a restaurant or something yeah. you eat the tail meat okay yeah fair enough yeah it sounds like uh i've heard they're just unbelievable like they're just oh, super no, they're, good no they're 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 awesome you, you never tried gator up there huh no, not at all. They don't have. Restaurants have them. Not. I don't think I've seen a restaurant up in Minnesota that has gator. <laughs> that was funny. Clients come down from up north every year. I had a client last year come down, and he soon gets in the camp. I think we had fried okra and sweet tea and everything. And he yeah. said, "This guy's probably forty years old." He said, "That's the first time I've ever had 
sweet tea or fried okra. <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> he goes, yeah, we don't have it up there. I think you live in Pennsylvania. He's like, yeah, we don't. We don't, we don't. Well, I mean, he's like, anywhere I've gone, we've never had this up, you know, up north. So, yeah, I crazy all the things you don't think about. You know, you guys not having most of our restaurants down here. Um, not every one of them, but a lot of them, you know, uh, they'll have like alligator for an appetizer. Oh wow. Yeah, they'll have like fried alligator bites for an appetizer in there, and they're good. Yeah, yeah. I... That are mountain oysters. That's another thing people up there have never eaten. What are mountain oysters? <laughs> they're bull balls. Oh, geez. Yeah, they actually have a fest every year. Like about 30 minutes from my house in Stillwater. I know, probably know where Stillwater's at. Uh, Oklahoma State University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I live in between Stillwater and Tulsa. Okay. Um, but. Uh, Every year they have a, a, a festival called Calf Fry. They have a bunch of like country bands come in. Oh yeah. But, uh, they they serve uh, calf fry, so that's what they call them. Um, like, there's several different names for them, but um, they call them calf fries, and it's just cut up bull balls, and then they <laughs> they fry them. And like I said, if you if you if you never knew what they were, I mean, you just think it's any you know you probably just think it's chicken or something. I mean, yeah. That's how some weren't taste uh, chicken or gator or anything else. Oh wow. <laughs> Typically they fry them. But most people <laughs> north have no clue what they even are, you know? Yeah. And some of the places on the menu down here are like the same situation, like alligator. They have them for an appetizer. So. Yeah, no kidding. So, some, of them, some of them call them calf fry. Some of them call them uh, mountain oysters. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've uh, <laughs> ever had sweet tea either. I don't really? Think, yeah. I think that's still on, uh, still on the bucket list. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> you come hunt, if you come hunting down here at any time, you'll... Uh, I'm sure you'll have all of the above. That's yeah. pretty, pretty regular down here, I would say. Oh, I can imagine, like, gumbo and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man. I tell you what, at anywhere I've been in the, in the United States, Louisiana's got the best cooking, too. Yeah. All of, all of, our, all of our clients that come in for our gator hunts, my cook here, and my, my cook I have here in uh, Oklahoma, which is my, it's, it's my girlfriend. She cooks for all my clients in awesome. Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas, and she's a really good cook, but everyone loves her cooking. But every time we go down there to uh, Louisiana, I think a lot of the clients, half the reason they book is just for the food. The seafood <laughs> just absolutely incredible, man. Fresh shrimp, and, and they, have a, they have something down there called uh, soft-shelled shrimp and soft-shelled crab. Yeah. And basically what it is... Um, they catch these shrimp in the in their molting stages. Oh, so wow. the entire shrimp is the same texture as what you would typically eat. Oh dang. Yeah, so like you know <laughs> normal shrimp you're thinking about. Yeah. When yeah. they catch them in their molting stages, the tail and everything, the legs are all the same texture, so the entire shrimp is edible. Oh wow. It's like a it's like a delicacy down there. Like ninety percent of people don't even know they exist. But yeah. Same thing with the crab. They catch those crabs in the molting stages. And you eat the entire crab, the shell, and everything's the exact same texture as you know what the normal meat would be. It's crazy. Wow! You fry them up, and they would melt in your mouth like yeah. butter. They're absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah, I you never knew that. Seafood down there, man. They got shrimp and boats all over the place. So a lot of your shrimp and seafood were eaten just right off the boat, you know? Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I... <laughs> Louisiana cooking sounds really good. Oh, uh, Cajun, Cajun's incredible, man. I'll tell you, it's it almost ruins you when you go back up north and. <laughs> You don't have access to that good seafood. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, though. Yeah, that would be that'd be quite it. But um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, what's the what's it like over in Africa? Because you said you went to Africa. Yeah, man, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I've 
I've uh, I've been over there three times, and oh, wow. I, I, well, actually, I was going to go back for a fourth time this year, but the COVID situation kind of messed that up. It yeah. ended up having to cancel. I was supposed to go to I was supposed to go to uh, New Zealand and Africa and Saskatchewan this year. Oh wow! I was going to go for Red Stag and then go back to Africa. Usually, usually I guide for a couple weeks over in Africa. I'm a booking agent. Okay. For, uh, I'm a booking agent for two different safaris over there, so I book a bunch of clients for them. Yeah. So usually a handful of clients, I'll go over there and uh, and help guide. And then usually after the, the clients leave, I'll stay there for another week or so and hunt myself. Yeah. It's kind of that deal I got worked out over there. Kind of works out depending upon however much the client spends over there. They give me and you know a certain percentage to use and credits to go hunting, you know, and pay for my animal for free. Yeah. Or they pay me, so I just always use them for animals, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> so I sell as many hunts as I can in the off season. I go there and I've got got a couple groups and then and uh, stay and hunt. But it's there's there's nothing like it, man. Yeah. To this day, Argentina, New Zealand, um, Mexico, Canada. There's nothing that's touched Africa so far for me. Yeah. That's hands down my favorite place. The accommodations, just the overall experience. It's just incredible. Yeah. What are you chasing over there when you're guiding? Man, everything. I mean, you can go over there with a with a certain list on what you want to kill, but um, you always run into other game that you weren't planning on killing that you end up shooting. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, like I think the first year I went, I shot like I think I shot ten or twelve animals. Oh wow. And then I, and the second year I went, I think I shot twenty four. Jeez. It's just hard to it's yeah. hard to go over and, and and just you know like I had I had like ten or twelve animals on my list and I always leave there with you know twice as many as what you know, what I had on my list yeah and it's just you always come across something you know that wasn't on your list and the, and the pH looks over at you and like hey man I'll that's a that's a really good impala that's a really good gimp but and you just you know especially with me don't take much twist of my arm and pull the trigger on something there so yeah <laughs> so I end, up, I end up getting I end up shooting about twice as many as what I planned on doing but oh, uh, it's awesome. very reasonably priced too like I said everyone always thinks Africa is out of the uh, price range and it's really not I mean it really depends upon what you kill okay um, obviously you're gonna spend a little bit on plane tickets getting there and back and shipping your animals back yeah but as a whole as a whole i mean if you just go over and hunt planes game it's really it's really very very affordable so okay um but like i said you can go over there and also spend a lot of money too it just depends on um what you're wanting to kill i mean you can go over and shoot a sable and a cake buffalo and yeah around you know all these animals that are expensive and spend twice as much money yeah but you could also go over there and shoot you know just your typical planes game like warthog and paula um uh, spring buck stuff like that and shoot seven or eight animals and only spend you know four thousand bucks yeah. i mean a lot of those animals are really cheap so, yeah well that's really like cool. i said i think the most expensive part of it's probably just getting all your animals back and playing ticket you know yeah oh exactly but it's a lot more affordable than what people think yeah. and it, if, if you've never done it definitely you definitely got to go try it sometime yeah but the problem is once you go once you'll probably go back <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh i can imagine what's the um food and everything like out there oh it's, it's it's incredible you can actually probably go over to africa with the if you wanted to like i, I i've been there bow hunting twice and, and rifle hunting once but uh yeah um you could go over there and it, obviously if you're bow hunting you're gonna want to bring your own bow but if you're gun hunting you can actually they have guns to rent that are set up already ready to go if you want to Oh wow! And I brought my own rifle before, and I've, I've I've also used some of their rented ones before. Yeah. And they're you know they're nice rifles. Yeah. Um, 
So you could go over there if you really wanted to with a carry-on bag and make it through your trip. I mean, two changes of clothes, you'll make it through 20 days of being there if you wanted to. I mean, oh, wow. you'll, you'll, you'll wear the, the clothes that you're planning on wearing hunting, and uh, while, while you're gone, they wash and clean your clothes, and they're <laughs> folded on your bed when you get back to camp. So it's, no kidding. It's, it's pretty tough to beat the accommodations, and the food is just absolutely incredible. Five-star lodging and food. Yeah. Uh, it, there's really nothing like it, man. Wow. That'd be... Yeah, that's that's quite a trip. Oh, it's incredible, man. It's just all around sportsman paradise, that's for sure. Yeah, because I always imagined it would be super expensive to go out there. Like, no, it's it's really not. Like I said, I took a buddy last year, and he went when he wasn't wanting to spend a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, and he's like, man, I really don't want to spend over, you know, about ten grand, eight, you know, nine or ten grand. I said, well, you still have a good hunt for that. Yeah. So I think he spent around three thousand dollars for his round plane ticket. Oh no, no! I think he spent like twenty five hundred dollars for his round plane ticket. Okay. And then uh, round trip plane ticket, and then he spent three thousand for food and lodging for twelve days. Okay. And the food and lodging is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, yeah, the lodging is is, is is incredible. I mean, you you you're out in the middle of nowhere and. You literally couldn't beat the accommodations. I mean, just for just for an example, one of the places I stayed in uh, a couple of years ago when I was hunting close to the Kalahari Desert in South Africa, um, I had my this own my own hut to myself. Kind of had a straw roof. Oh wow! And you walk in, you get your own bed, TV, and everything. Everything's really nice. And then you go back to your shower, you got a jacuzzi, and then you <laughs> go go out to your shower. There's a door, and the shower's outside. But it's like you know, it's 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 completely surrounded by rock, yeah. and then it's got windows in it. And through the windows, it, there's like a water hole out there, at like a hundred yards. And at the water hole, you can see kudu and zebra, Jeez. and all kinds of stuff. Just while you're sitting there taking a shower, <laughs> it's it, it, it's pretty incredible, man. But uh, uh, yeah, there's honestly there's from from all the places I've been, there, there's there's not you know there's nothing like Africa. Yeah, and a lot of other places are incredible too. I love Canada, New Zealand, Argentina. But Africa's hard to beat, man. It really is. But now my buddy, he 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 spent I think twenty five hundred on his plane ticket, uh, three thousand for food and lodging for twelve days, and I think he spent another three grand or thirty five hundred on animals. Wow. And I think he ended up shooting like seven or eight animals for for thirty five hundred bucks. Yeah. But That's you know, not... like all the animals, he 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 went and did a cull hunt. You can go do a cull hunt, and you know what they mean by a cull hunt? You're still shooting you know old bulls so you may shoot like an old black wildebeest or an old blue wildebeest yeah there's still trophy bulls they're just old bulls that are trying to cull out of the herd yeah so, um and your prices are just unbeatable i mean you can play like 300 for a black wildebeest coal uh, a coal blue a coal blue wildebeest you may like pay 200 dollars for oh wow <laughs> i mean it just you can't beat the prices so yeah i think he shot seven or eight animals and only spent like three grand so yeah. he got that entire trip for like eight grand and had the time on his life so yeah it's very affordable if, if uh you don't want to spend a whole lot of money and uh still go over and have an absolute blast and he could he could have shot three or four animals and probably paid only 1500 and he'd probably only been out you know six thousand sixty five hundred i think he's ended up paying eight thousand total so yeah had a hell of a hunt so yeah, that is not a bad gig at all, because, I mean... But you could also go over and go on a rampage and get out of hand in a hurry, too, <laughs> if you want to. If you've got an endless bank account. <laughs> yeah. What's the most expensive animal to shoot out there? Um, probably an elephant or, or a rhino. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can still you can go still kill a rhino for 
Um, it's gonna cost you about fifty grand. Oh my god! And, and no offense, it's gonna be in the same the same price range, somewhere in the same price range. Jeez. Um, even a giraffe's a lot more affordable than what you would think. But um, yeah, those are probably the most expensive too. And then behind them would probably be you know uh, uh, a lion and a leopard and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how? How many people actually go over there and like shoot elephants and stuff like that? Um, not very many people. And like I said, that um, right there, they typically hunt them more in the uh, north of South Africa okay. um, is where they do a lot of the a lot of the elephant hunts. And yeah, there's only a handful of people that can do it a year. Uh, yeah, you know, there's only a handful of people that can probably afford it. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and when they when they go in there, like I said, they're, they're just taking the old bulls out. So, yeah. I mean, they're going in there and killing the old bulls and. You know, it's like that. Anything you hunt in Africa, oh yeah, they they always do surveys for each concession. Yeah, every year to to see, you know, how many how many bulls they need to take out of this herd, how many cows they need to take out of this herd. Yeah, to where you know they have a healthy herd. So oh exactly, they got that all so dialed people, in. Oh man, yeah. That's what people don't realize is how much hunters do for Africa. I mean, yeah, the amount of money and conservation that they put into um, hunting over there is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and and pay for all the anti-poaching teams. It's incredible everything they do over there. So, oh yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a neat place. Yeah, what's the what's the deal with the anti-poaching teams? Is there like a lot of people yeah, so, that so try to? A, a, yeah, it's it, it's a lot of the locals. I mean, okay. a lot of the locals are the ones that poach in Africa, and you know, some of them are poaching to 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 sell the t- the rhino, t- you know, the rhino horns or the the elephant tusk. Yeah, right? and then some of them are poaching just to serve, you know, just for meat. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the locals are the ones that really that they have to keep from poaching. So um, they'll they'll fund anti-poaching teams to basically stay out there twenty four seven in certain areas where it's bad. Yeah, and uh, you know catch these people that are that are poaching, whether they're shooting them or setting snares or hunting with dogs or whatever they're doing, you know, oh, wow. to keep them from wiping them out. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's pretty but, uh, pretty intense. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a full-time job over there. But uh, no, it's a it's an incredible place. Just just seeing just seeing the atmosphere and, and how they live over there. And yeah, going to villages. It just it's just it's incredible. The whole experience is incredible over there. Yeah, just a different way of life over there. Oh, it's a different way of life completely. Yeah, complete complete 180 from the United States. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can imagine. It'd just be cool to go see that culture and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, just driving around is entertaining. You know, just seeing everything. So yeah, yeah. And, and there's and it's a target rich environment. Plenty of plenty of game animals. So yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, I think. Uh, I think we're pretty close to wrapping everything up. I kind of that I wanted to talk about. I know the time limit is about an hour for you. I I didn't know if you can go any longer than that. Um, oh, it's up to you, man. Well, like I said, if you get any more questions, I'll be up to answer them. Yeah, anything's fine with me, brother. I was just thinking, is there anything else that we kind of didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about? Um, I think we covered we covered a lot of the stuff I guide for and all that stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, your elk hunting a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. What What's that like over uh, guiding elk? Oh, it's a blast, man! It's a blast. Um, I don't do as many. I don't do as many as I used to. Yeah. But, um, um, just because I stay so busy guiding other stuff. But uh, I'm actually supposed to go on an elk and uh, mule deer hunt oh, this wow. next week in uh, New Mexico. 
no kidding. archery hunts. Uh, uh, actually, I'll be, I'll be the one hunting this time. I won't be guiding, so it'll be it'll be nice. Oh, but, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible, man. Like I said, I got it. I got it elk hunts for years, and um, uh, just about every way of elk hunting I love. But there's nothing that beats get in there mid-September and calling a bull into bow range. Yeah, for me, that's my favorite, and that's my favorite ones to guide too. You call a bull coming in screaming right in your face and you know 15 20 yards and he hammers something ain't nothing nothing better than that you can literally feel the bugle in your chest jeez it's hard it's pretty hard to beat that feeling man that's why i think that's why a lot of bow hunters even experienced bow hunters make bad shots on elk yeah (laughs) it's because they get them in close even guys that have done it a thousand times they get in they get them in you know to bow range they get so shook up they either miss them or uh make a bad shot you know yeah that's part of it sometimes that's that's uh that's what keeps you coming back yeah, I can only imagine the adrenaline. Oh man, it's it's incredible. So I, 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 lo- <laughs> I love guiding rifle hunters too, but it's like I said, there's nothing like mid-September when the bulls are fired up, yeah. screaming their heads off, and you call them right into ten or fifteen yards right in your face. There's just nothing like it, man. Nothing yeah. like it. That's awesome. What now? Are you guys uh, guiding in just September? Or is it like an all kind of year thing? Um, like for elk, uh, usually, usually, um, most of the elk hunts we got are September archery, archery hunts and, uh, uh, season September yeah. as well. So we usually do, uh, archery and muzzleloader. And then usually, um, when October hits, I'm, I'm back to whitetail. So, okay. um, I'm usually done by the time September's over. Yeah. <laughs> that's well. my, that's my favorite part to be in there anyways, you know, cause that's, that's when it's, uh, that's when it's hot. Yeah, because that's a rut at that time, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, about actually about right now, it's it's on fire. Yeah. So this is, like I said, we're, we're going to get up there this weekend, and, and, and they'll be, uh, I talked to my buddy just a few days ago, and he said they're screaming their heads off. So <laughs> and it's just going to keep getting better every day it goes on. So I'm looking forward to getting there. Yeah. Yeah, well, good luck when you're out there. Make I sure. appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. I'll definitely uh, shoot you over a picture if I kill one. Yeah. I, I'm, like I said, I... I uh, I'm either uh, hopefully kill a mule there in an elk, or or just one of them. Either one. Uh, I think I only got four or five days to hunt, so okay. may not get both of them killed, but li- at least get a, a bull killed or, or a nice buck, one of the two. Yeah, yeah, 100. But yeah, I, I only got four or five days to hunt. I gotta be back and kind of gotta get ready for my uh, um, opening weekend of uh, archery deer hunters coming in. So I gotta get the camp and everything ready. Yeah, ready to go for that and get a little bit of last minute scouting in yeah absolutely pull some cards see what we're working with yeah exactly that's the that's the game plan yes sir yeah well yeah garrett thank you for joining i had an awesome talk with you today we, uh, hey i appreciate you having me on man i enjoyed talking to you and uh yeah we'll, have to, we'll definitely have to do it again yeah no doubt uh you have a fun one on your elk and mule deer hunt and uh we'll talk soon Sounds good, brother. Keep in touch, my man. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Talk to you later, man. And that wraps things up today with Living the Guy Life, episode 18. And hope Garrett's uh, doing well chasing some elk. Hope he shoots a big one. And I hope you guys enjoyed his stories about you know africa learn a little bit about africa and the trips aren't expensive from what he's saying so that'd be a pretty cool experience for you guys and i'd love to head out there at some point but yeah it's just good and to hear about his ranches that he runs and what he's done out there to uh 
produced big deer and you know spot and stock we talked about that on uh tv show and what it's like to you know have a film crew behind you and all that kind of good stuff so i hope you guys enjoyed